0: Hello and welcome to episode number eight of Masters of Medic. I'm here with Lucy Williams-Jones. Welcome, Lucy. How are you doing?
1: I'm really well, thank you.
0: Great to be here. I'm very happy that you're here as well because this has been a very long time coming. I think I've been trying to get you on this show for maybe a year now, maybe even longer. I don't know if it's been that long.
1: It has been that long, and with COVID and lockdown, I think my answer was, I need to get to the hairdressers first. I finally got there, so happy days.
0: You got there. See, I don't have that excuse in my locker, because, you know, for obvious reasons, but, um, well, I'm very, very glad you're here. And um, perhaps before, uh, yeah, perhaps before we get started, I just want to start with something that stood out for me, and maybe the reason... As to why you and I got to know each other, which is, can you can you guess what it is why why it was that I first ever reached out to you, Lucy?
1: I would say because of my background with various PTC companies
0: and my
1: adoption of Medic over the past ten years.
0: Yes, that that is kind of the the start of it, but there was something in particular that really stood out for you. I'm going I'm to going to you any more with this. Um, when I was researching the book, I was kind of down this rabbit hole, as you say, of like PTC alumni companies and, and some of those great organizations that are out there, because I was looking for people to kind of do some research with. And I stumbled, as you do, in those kind of LinkedIn rabbit holes of people also viewed and all that sort of stuff on LinkedIn profiles. I found your profile and there was one thing that stood out for me, which was none other than back to back. Presidents' clubs for I think like at the time it would have been like nineteen years. Is that would that be in right? I mean, you know, it,
1: yeah,
0: it, you must have,
1: about you
0: must have started in your sales career at the age of about ten years old or something like that to be able to fit that many um in. But um yeah, so just uh, before yeah, you know, but tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your career and yeah, I'm very excited to hear it.
1: Sure, absolutely. So. Um as you know, and you made the point there around the President's Club. So I, um, I I fell into tech when I was 18 years old, and it's probably one of the best decisions. I made, I've made three great decisions in my career. The first one was not to go to university. Um so I was 18. I had a place at Manchester Met um, to do physiotherapy and sports therapy. And um, I decided to take a gap year so that I could um, see the world and, and live life a little bit before I um, buckled down into, into university. Um, and then one of my very good friends, Richard McGuire, um, he's now emigrated to Oz actually. But he um, said, "Oh, guess what? We've got this role at Quest Software where, you know, you can do part admin, part sales, and, and see if you like it." So I was like, do "You know what? The pay's great, and I could learn some new stuff." So I was like, "Yeah, cool." Um, I stayed there for 14 years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a, a quick, a quick a quick dash, but um, so I joined in um, 23rd of October in 2000. So 22 years ago, next week, um, I've been in the tech industry and I joined. It was before SDRs were really prevalent. So I joined as kind of I did a bit of admin. I got the faxes when fax machines were a thing Um, and we did the orders. And I was also doing some outbound cold calling. Um, And then within about um, six months, I actually just moved into an inside sales role where I stayed for about two years. And then through there, I just increased my kind of career progression. I became an AE, then an enterprise AE that I specialized in systems integrated in local government because that was a booming market. Um, and then I moved out to Ireland to manage the database um, unit for um, all the monitoring tools out, 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 in, Do- out in Cork, actually. So um, 14 years, long time to stay in one company, but it was probably one of the best and key moments in my career, right, because not only did I make some amazing friends, but we grew up in it. So, you know, we were there banging the calls at 80 dollars a day because it was a numbers game back then. And it's when we got the yellow pages. I remember we got given a yellow pages and said, go sell Oracle database um, development tools. So th- that's what we did. And so <laughs> I had like, like yeah. a,
0: like a, a you were like A to C or was it like a free for all people who <laughs> just like go for it?
1: <laughs> it it was actually done like that. So everyone wanted to let us see because it was like, they had the most in there. <laughs> no one wanted that because you had some really diverse companies. But no, we did. We it was all um, it was just done like A to C or D to F, and we all used to sit in like a hot house. It was in um, in Burnham in the Priory, and um, we all used to sit there. and Maria Kuna, who now I think is at Service Now, she, she was there, kind of geeing us up and saying, "Come on, let's get more calls. Let's get more calls." And we'd have the numbers on the board, and you know, you never want to be at the bottom. Um, yeah. uh, we we made a great company, even better. And, you know, that's when Billy Smith and Doug Garn were there and they created a family um, under, you know, Simon Pierce, who was the, the MD of the UK and, and we all grew up together. And now I look at all, all the people that I worked with back then, and they've all gone to numerous other companies. You know, you've got people who are at Splunk, you've got people at Ping, um, but we are still really tight and we've built that little community and we all still, you know, talk to my bridesmaids were from Quest um, and a number of people at the wedding. So, I spent 14 years there and then I was living in Cork um, and although I loved my time there I wanted to come back to London so I was thinking well what could I do do I get transferred back to work the Quest who I've been selling for 14 years and thinking you know database development tools or do I take a new challenge so I actually came back and did a short space at Couchbase and they IPO'd last year or um, well, actually only this year now with Covid but yeah earlier this year which was a great experience. I spent about 10 months there and, and dipped my toe really in kind of medic, as you say, like they want to be a medic company, but did they truly live and breathe the playbook? You know, I would maybe disagree, but um, I spent about 10 months there and then realized, you know, databases may be a little bit boring, um, although the technology was great. Um, and I got headhunted um, by a great recruiter who put me into BMC. And I think at that time is when my career changed. So, um, yeah, I did BMC for about two and a half years, um, selling monitoring again. So back to what I had been doing at, at Quest. So it was my safe space, yeah. working with a number of large enterprise accounts, such mm-hmm. as kind of like of Vodafone, um, EDF Energy and, and, and HSBC. Um, and I, I really loved it and I learned so many things. I was very fortunate to kind of learn so much from many great leaders. You know, I, I worked directly under Paul Kant. Um, I was working with Steve Hamilton in the majors and and under Don Darcy before he moved over to Mongo. And um, I learned so many amazing things. As a a PTC medic company, they probably are one of the best at driving the playbook, actually outlining why medic is so important within a sales cycle. And from then, I was just like, I'm never going to work for a non-medic company again.
0: Right. And have have you ever found yourself in that sort of situation where you have been sort of courted by a, a, another company for an opportunity and you know you said you would never go to a company that doesn't use medic have you kind of would you, would you sort of find that in the decision i guess say like a decision criteria then very on on point on topic but for for why you wouldn't wouldn't go to a company then
1: 100 so yeah so i use your website actually because i know then who's all the medic companies <laughs> <laughs> I'm now but um yeah absolutely so i i believe in the playbook like wholeheartedly. And, you know, my team now will talk about, you know, I bang on about it all day long. And I think if you can follow that process to a team, you're going to be able to not only accelerate um, any sales cycles, your own working, but give a great customer experience. And that's what the most important thing is, right? It's not all about, you know, getting a deal or closing closing a transaction off. it's about making sure that there's a fair exchange of value and both organizations get that. And, and that's what the paper collapse.
0: Yeah. So, I love that. I love that. And I think, I think that is, you know, people often ask me, what do people, what's the thing that people most commonly get wrong um, about medic? And I think there's a lot of things. There are a lot of misconceptions. And you usually find if you kind of dig into them, you usually find that the, the person has that misconception has not kind of fully looked into medic or even used it. Um, but the one that I think stands strongest is this idea that medic is something that is anything but a good experience for the customer when for me it's the complete contrary to that. It, it, it's it's totally if you think back to where it originated from it originated from reverse engineering why customers buy and don't buy so if you if, if that's your blueprint of we're going to uh, we're going to attack we're going to create a framework that follows why customers are making positive decisions and negative decisions towards our solution, then you can, you can only be right. So yeah, it's fascinating to hear you describe it like that. I love it.
1: Absolutely. Um, so when I was, I? so I just left VMC. Oh, I went to Mongo, so yeah. Dondas, VP at VMC, um, went over to Mongo. Um, again, no SQL databases. I'd already touched, like dip my toe in the water with Couchbase, but I was like, no, nope, now's the time. And with everything, you know, timing's, timing's important. So, um, I moved over to Mongo and again, learned some amazing, um, tricks and traits from some great, great people like, um, David Chiria, Cedric Pesh is over there, Don Darcy. So again, the real kind of PTC kind of, um, way of working. And again, Mongo second to none, run the playbook perfectly. Um, yeah. and you know, they're doing really, really, really well. And, when I left there, it, um, although I was super excited about moving to Datadog because monitoring is kind of my, as I said, my safe space, it's what I've been doing for a long time. I also leave behind so many kind of fond memories of like how we would sit in war rooms. And you know, you think war rooms are things for when incidents go down in, in um, organizations, but you know, how do we transact and how do we build something that's going to give that customer so much value, you know, the likes of UBS or the likes of again HSBC. So um, I left Mongo. Um, and that was in the December, 2019, no, 2018. And I joined Datadog on the 11th of January, 2019. I wow. always leap end of years. I never have like the summer off. You know how everyone gets garden leave and yeah. then they get like a month off in the sun. Mine's always at Christmas because I yeah. always then um, start new year. So, um, yeah, so I started on um, the 11th, um, 2019. I've been there coming up three years this year. Um, I did two and a half years as an IC, so um, looking after a number of strategic accounts. And then more recently, six months ago, I got promoted to one of the regional directors um, over there as well. So again, under Patrick um, Schwanstrom, PTC PTC Legends, um, and working now across, I've got a team of five um, enterprise reps, six enterprise reps who um who look into the kind of enterprise accounts within the UK and
0: Ireland. Yeah. Well, first off, I know I've said this to you before, but you know, for the for the podcast, congratulations on the promotion. I know that's very well deserved. Um, also, you know, I think quite a it's always a it's always a challenging thing to do is to to step up to 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 manage to run the team that you used to be a part of. So that that in itself, you know, the fact that I know you guys are kind of hit the grow hit the road hit the road hit the ground running, I should say, even though you've had to how many new people have you had to hire?
1: So I've hired five new people yeah. from my team specifically, but across Datadog um, UK, we're hiring really aggressively to handle the growth. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got three teams now at the moment. Um, each of them are going to have um six people in each. Um, and then we'll be looking to grow out again, I think again next year, right? Um, the, the market is booming, um especially in, in Datadog. Well, yeah. So um, yeah, it's really exciting.
0: How have you found?
1: The, go on.
0: I was going to say, how have you found the the recruiting <laughs> process? What's that? What's that been like um, to to sort of start hiring people and getting into that?
1: So I actually really enjoyed the recruiting side because it's kind of like a sales process, and I know that I'm kind of engineered as a as a salesperson deep down. Um, I had a very specific kind of wish list of what I was looking for. Um, and I think I've achieved that I'm super happy with my team and, um, I've got, you know, a real mixture, but one of the fundamental things that they all have is, um, a medic commander, of the message playbook background, whether they've used it extensively before or not, they, they're all aware of it. Um, and uh, you know, another qualification methodology, like you've got man or ban or mantra <laughs> we used to have like, 20 years ago. It's primarily the same, right? but it's just not as as structured. So yeah, no, I I found the recruitment really interesting. I really enjoyed the ramping. So so I've got five new hires right now who have been in the business either 30, 60, 90 days and trying to get them ramped as as quickly as possible so they can start providing those, those values to customers. SAP is like super, super important to me.
0: Yeah, I love that. I was reading an article that you did recently, um, and it talked about the three traits that you look for, which I thought was really nice, which was, I think if I remember it rightly, and get correct me if I'm wrong, number one was coachability, um, which is, you know, you and I are, you know, that's one of the one of the traits I I look for as well. I think that's that's in our game of sales where you never ever stop learning, right? That's the, that's right. That's that's got to be number one for me. Um, I also like that you said high EQ. And I'm I'd love to come back to that in a second just to talk about you know what what you what things you look for and what you class as high EQ and where you see that sort of place. Um, and then my yeah the one that just stood out was the um affinity for pipeline generation. And I think that is so true. And if you were anything like me, it'd be interesting to hear whether you see this the same. I've never ever known an elite salesperson that didn't have an affinity for pipeline generation. They may do it differently. They may find you know other means and tactics and strategies, but they get that top of the funnel f- working for them. Is uh, would you say? Would you say your experience is, is similar?
1: Hundred percent. You know, it, you you live and die by pipeline. So um, you need to put as much in the top as possible. Good, well qualified pipeline. Follow the playbook. Bring it through, and you'll be successful. Yeah. um I, I was reading an article i think it was on linkedin yesterday and i can't think who said it so if anyone's listening and it was you <laughs> it was around the fact that an sdr was doing 20 percent of their work but they still hit their numbers because it was 20 um good outreach my answer is like imagine if you did 100 percent or 80 percent. like if you turn that on its head like how much more you'd be able to achieve so yeah. at the end of the day well, this is, is this numbers game right but if you can put good qualified pipe in and, and you do your research, you, you book good discovery meetings, you parse them through into being a, a great new business meeting um, and you go into that sales process, the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. And that's on yourself. That comes down to the work ethic. You, yeah. you did nail my three. It's coachability. It's intelligence. Um, EQ and IQ, I think, are as important. And it's, um, it's experience, but with um, a really, really big, heavy PG mindset. Because we know that, um, you know, new logos are the lifeblood of any organisation, um, especially um, an organisation like ours, right? We want to make sure that we're landing new customers and we're growing them and we're giving value for exactly what we need to do. So, um, yeah, there's lots of ways you can test. Um, but when I was an IC, going back, you know, to last year, I used to love the PG side of it. That was like, give me an account, let me, like, get my like, coloured markers out and figure out. Who's who in the zoo? Who do I need to contact? What their messaging is? What spokes do I need to go after? Like, I absolutely loved it. And um, yeah, I'm trying to instill that now in, in the team, right? Like, slow down to speed up. Yeah. Um, put the work in at the front end of the funnel because if you do the right things early, the rest will follow. Whereas, you know, you have some people that rush the front and then think, oh, everything will happen and it, it doesn't, right? Because there's flaws. You know, they haven't outlined decision criteria ahead of going into a POV. And then they're surprised when the POV doesn't close. Yeah. Or they've not identified actually what an EB cares about before going into POV. So they've done this great POV and the, the EB comes and goes, Well, I'm not signing that because it doesn't do anything that I need it to do. Right. So uh, yeah, I think you need to make sure you put high quality in, and then you're going to get high quality out.
0: Yeah. And I think that loops back to what you were just saying about that post you read on LinkedIn about the str that was doing, you know, 20%. Of uh, uh, of their uh, the work was you know, what was it twenty percent that was flowing through uh, of of their pipeline. I think the point there is if we analyze, I'm sure if we looked into that twenty percent, there would be a, a commonality across the the one, the the pipeline that did progress that it had all of those things you were talking about. You know the way the which you just described how you used to do pipeline generation is for me is how elite salespeople do it. They they they're taking the perspective of what's in it. For the customer here, how can I help the customer and who will care? And, you know, further than that, different people will care about different things, which is, you know, what you talked about there with the, the economic buyer coming in and having a different perspective. And it's like, it's that perspective of saying, right, we are selling a, a broad solution that does a lot of different areas of value for, and those different areas of values will score differently for different people inside of this organization. How do we map that out? How do we catch the attention? And that, for me, going back to your really great point about that that's SDR doing the 20% is if you zoom in onto that 20% and then you know, expand out. So, you know, like you say, uh, slow things down to speed things up or focus on quality over quantity, you, you just start to get this proliferation of, of success and that flywheel starts to spin up, right? And that's how you, you know, that's how, um, you know, those, there's no coincidence, right? That, you know. They, many people listen to this they could take a kind of a view of, of you know you talking about the those great people you've mentioned you know the kind of name checks you've made and you say well there's only a reason why those people gravitate around together it's because they have success together and it's not you know they're not it's not some sort of club it's it's because they've been successful together and they kind of bring good talent with them and, and if you want to get in on that kind of uh, opportunity then you, you kind of have to focus on the stuff that you were saying right
1: and a it's learned behavior, right? I don't think it's like you're born with it. Like the yeah. sales process um, and that evolution of, you know, the founders of like PTC and then, you know, um, blowing it down. Like it is a learned process, but you've got to be open. And one of the things I say to, you know, we had our QBR last week. And the one thing I kept saying is you've got to be open and embrace the sales process, because if you do, it will see you well. If you don't and you close down, it won't, or if you try and cut corners, you right. I've people previously like try and cut a corner and I'm just like, that will come back and bite you. And guess what? It did. So yeah. you, no, it's not about me saying, Oh, I told you so. It's more about like follow the sales process, follow the playbook. Every organization, whether you're Mongo, Datadog, BMC, the playbook is theoretically the same with with some slight tweaks. I'm sure they evolve more and more. Um, especially depending on like the technicality of the product, or if it's a more of a show and tell product, for example, like maybe you don't need to do big massive technical workshops, but believe in the process. And if you believe in the process, good things will come and that's, right. that's it. And you know, I I'm such a firm believer of that. And, and you know, and you know, I've read John's book a number of times, obviously your book, um, love it. And I don't think you're ever too, um, too old to learn a new skill, um, and embrace, like right. a new way of working and it could change your
0: life. Right? Yeah. And I want to just go, something you said there really struck a chord with me about being open. Um, I, I don't know if you found it the same as I have, but if I think about the best, the most elite salespeople I've ever worked with, and I, I've had the great privilege to work with some people that you know are truly elite. And one thing that they all have in common is that they are the most open people in my, in my experience about their where they are with deals. Where they're, you know, and they're, they're the first ones to put the hand up and say, you know what, this isn't a deal, or I'm losing here, or how, you know, how's your how's your year going? Not great, you know, haven't really got much on. Whereas the the, the opposite of those elite salespeople, they're they're always talking everything up. They're like, and, and I think what what I've reflected on this a lot because I try to kind of get to the bottom of it, and I think it comes back to this kind of um, this confidence in your ability. And that is in its in its own self as a salesperson, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you are that elite salesperson and you walk into an opportunity and you can see, you know, via your gut, but also via using a you know qualification framework like Medic, you can see that for whatever reason, whether it's there's not enough pain, whether it's not enough um, enthusiasm with the customer, maybe you haven't got access to the right stakeholders, whether the customer doesn't have any kind of idea of what the process can be. If if you can see those things as that elite salesperson and say, you know what? i'm going to i'm going to as you said earlier slow these things down to speed it up and that slowing down might be trying to qualify out um, right um, then the 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 reaction that the cell that the, the customer sees in that is Wow, this person's not prepared to waste their time here. They must be really busy. They must have a lot of value behind them. So therefore, maybe I should be interested. Whereas the flip of that is where, like, you have these salespeople that are almost trying to like grab it, you know, clutch at straws. You get into this like rut where the, the customer finds them like you know desperate almost. And we know what we know what that kind of how that comes across in all frames of life. If if someone is trying to get your attention, they appear desperate. That's that's a really bad thing. So I love you said there about being open. I think that's like a really nice way of describing it.
1: Yeah, I think as well. Like, so if I think about a sales process and, and moving through, like I like to call it gates. You know, when do you close one gate off and then go into the next gate? Like, we spend far too little time, as typically as sellers, right? Um, when I was an IC, let me go back to my IC days. You know, you'd spend, I'd be like, yeah, someone's told me they, they've got a problem. I know we can solve it. Let's move on to a demo or a new business meeting. But actually I'm encouraging my team now to spend as much time as possible in discovery mode to make that new business meeting so impactful before they close that gate and move on to the next, the next step. Um, because you, you know, can you really gauge that much pain out of a one 30 minute call? You might get a tech stack. You might understand what they're trying to do, but do yeah. you fundamentally understand what impact that has on the business? Who cares about that within the business? Actually, if the platform went down, what would that implication be to X, Y, Z? So, Yeah, I'm really encouraging my team now to stay very much in the discovery stage for as long as they need to. Um, And you might have one call that you hear everything, um, highly unlikely, and and then move through into that new business meeting to really be able to um, kind of showcase the challenges and do the demo that's so specific to what they're trying to fix. It makes it a no-brainer. We were in engagement um, recently, last quarter, where we had a, a massive kind of, I guess, pat on the back saying that, you know it was competitive, but from a vendor standpoint, the fact that we took time to explain the challenges, why we think we were the right fit for the, for the project, um, and how we could do it, and how we do it differently, that set us apart already from from any of the other vendors that um, that were in that that race as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think I think that's something. It's it's so funny how um, because I think one of the reasons because in our sales career, we we generally speaking, you know, not always, but we generally kind of start. Um, as we're junior salespeople selling, you know, higher velocity sales, quicker moving sales, um, smaller deal values. And, you know, we, that those, that the cycles are therefore shorter. And we kind of try, where we sort of learn that the, 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 the further we get on, the more likely we are to, to close the deal. And I think that, that, Teaches us the wrong thing that it's good to get to a next stage. Because if you're, if you're at stage, let's say you move from stage one to stage two, then your deal is more likely to get to stage three um, because you're already at stage two. And I think that's a common misconception because what you what you're effectively saying there that you do of your team, which I completely agree with, and I think is, is a really nice way you articulated it, is let's spend more time in one. Because that will get us through two, three, four, and five, probably much, much quicker. Um, and I, I really like that way of looking at that. And I think that's something that I think we're all guilty of in our industry of, of trying to measure success. Based on um, progression, rather than you know other we we measure success based on where we are in the sales process in terms of stages, rather than like how much value are we um, here? How much pain are we solving? And um, you know, I'm sure I don't know about you. Maybe it's a good question. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a pipeline full of stage five deals? or at the same amount of stage one and two deals, but I'm going to tell you those stage one and two deals have twice the amount of pain <laughs> that you can solve as the stage five deals. I think if I phrased it to you like that, you would probably, uh, you tell me how you'd answer.
1: So I'm really passionate about this. And if Tony and Patrick are listening, I don't hold me to this, but I'm really confident that when we're in engaged, because we follow the process correctly, we give a good customer experience um, that all of, the transactions potentially that we're working on uh, are solid, right? I, I don't put crap in the pipeline. It's one of my worst, um, it's one of my pet hates. Yeah. Like, don't just fill up the pipeline because you think it looks better on your leading indicators or your metrics. Like, I want good quality pipeline because we know it's going to then run through. It helps with resourcing as well, right? There's nothing worse than, you know, my SE director who pings me and says, Really? These mm-hmm. notes? Are they real? And I'm just like, yeah, they are. And I try and make excuses, but now I don't make excuses. I'm just like, go back and find out the answers before we even get technical resource involved, for example. But I'd rather a pipeline of strong, qualified um, opportunities where we're solving customer pain. We've got the customer buy-in. We've got a potential champion that's been identified who's going to, you know, I love champions, by the way, but I've got a potential champion that's going to take us through um, and we've got the right decision criteria that we know we can win. Again, like... Is it if it's a use case that we're not going to hit i'd rather just qualify out but i love your sign behind you i need to get one for the office
0: yeah i should start selling them shouldn't i put them on the on the medic.com forward slash shop forward slash nobody regrets qualifying out neon light for those listening on the podcast
1: the dog t-shirt' whilst you're holding it
0: yeah i' look like i'm holding it up there we go get the dog t-shirt in this is very high quality by the way if, if, if this is as good as the software is then let me tell you this is a this is a good Good, good, good cotton. I would say.
1: Well, oh, I don't think it's cotton, and apparently we have the best quality t-shirts in the industry.
0: Whoa, that's a that's a that's a claim. Like that, that almost feels like you know when you have like these shows where there uh, becomes a theme, and I'm gonna have to, you know, maybe that becomes a theme of the show. To to be on the show, you have to gift me a t-shirt, and then I'm gonna start a league table of soft, what, what's, what is the measure? What's this, what's the, uh, technical decision criteria of, uh, of a data dog t-shirt what's, what, what makes you say it's the best
1: <laughs> the quality of the fabric. They wash really, really well. And the, um, front logo never washes off.
0: Does it not? Oh, no. okay.
1: You try it. If you wear it more often and then wash it more often, you're going to see how great quality
0: is. Uh, that's just you trying to get me to wear, to do some advertising around the Cambridgeshire village that I live in. <laughs> if you start getting inquiries from, you know, retired, retired, like, you know, uh, farmers and things like that for some, some data dog, you know, it's me.
1: <laughs> and I'll even chuck you a hat. If you, if you wear it 10 times, I'll
0: get you a hat as well. Okay, cool. Hey, what's that? Like I'm, I'm looking, I can see in the background there, I can see the, uh, the paperweights. They look to me like they might be some sort of, uh, reward, uh, award. I should say, is that what they are? I'm, I'm going to guess. Uh,
1: they are the president's club, Lucite Spears.
0: Okay. For what, what company?
1: Datadog. Oh, dog. Okay. Cause obviously we didn't have clubs. So we've got 2019 and
0: 2020.
1: Okay. Uh, They're very heavy, great, great as a paperweight.
0: Yeah, um, that's cool.
1: Um, and we got given a best as well.
0: Okay. Um, what like instead that. of instead of the, the vacation?
1: Well, no one can travel anywhere.
0: Okay. Okay. So,
1: yeah, they've done some other, uh, other stuff, but I think next year, obviously, hoping the world will return to normal and we can we can all get together again.
0: Okay. Um, I, I have a friend that 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 one president's club is an SE, and he was very upset because they uh they sent him like a a backpack, um, and it was supposed to be like a Bahamas week long trip or something like that so he'll feel better knowing that he's not the only one that got kind of paperweighted or, or backpacked so yeah
1: <laughs> backpacked last year, that was great they're all Patagonia though so it's great quality again yeah. t-shirts I don't know I think I've that... still got my backpack or my wheelie case from my first ever club that I went to <laughs> in, I, in, in 2001
0: I think i'm going to speak for everyone listening here that i think as much as i do love patagonia and backpacks and all that sort of stuff i prefer the vacation um i'm just gonna say but uh yeah well well done well done that's very good (laughs) very good
1: so um covid was uh you know you've got to be grateful that we're all here right so at least i'm here to receive my.
0: yeah and you you you, you had COVID, right? But not, you know, I think it's funny, not funny, obviously, but it's it's interesting now how, um, because people are vaccinated, it seems like a lot of people are catching COVID and not having such severe reactions, but you were you were very ill, right? You were very poorly.
1: I was, and I think, you know, that, you know, maybe I had an epiphany, but that was kind of what made me transfer from, you know, thinking, you know, I'll be an IC going into, going into leadership. So yeah, I got sick in um, I got sick in January when the real spate of it was around when I think everyone was getting it. And mm-hmm. I'd recently moved up to the Cotswolds, so didn't know anyone, so I wasn't going out. It wasn't like I was in the pubs and nightclubs. Um, of the Cotswolds, the Cotswolds. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was either the builder or the Accardo man. It was one of the two, one of those two that gave it to me. My husband didn't get it, but yeah, I was really poorly. So um, from kind of January seventh until early February um really really sick and then there was a spate of around a week where I really thought I was just like don't want to go to hospital they were like we're going to come and take you and I was like no I'm staying here it was when everyone was there and they were just getting rolled over and um I just said look I want to just try and fight it at home so I had like the NHS um and the the district nurse kind of minding me and, and checking in and my oxygen went to about 82 um, which is really hard, you know, to breathe and stuff. But for about four days, I was kind of laying there and I was thinking, gosh, if I, if anything did happen to me, I'd only ever really be known for being a salesperson.
0: Uh, well, right. hang on a minute. Like 20-time President's Club back-to-back, that's that's pretty impressive. But I, I sorry <laughs> I mean to interrupt you. you not just a salesperson.
1: <laughs> you know what? I've learned so much from so many people over my, like, 22 years, right? So, you know, the likes of... Adam Quatermain, who's now at Sprinkler. You've got Don Darcy, who's at Mongo. You've got Cedric, who's at Mongo. Paul Cannon, who's still at BMC. Jason Andrew. Um, Patrick. You know, I've, I've learned so much from so many amazing people. I want to just kind of, like, instill that on others. And that's what made me change. So as soon as I got better, um, I, I rang my boss, Tony and said, like, you've been asking me, do I want to move into management role? I've always gone, no, 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 it's too scary. I just want to stay doing what I know because I manage my own diary. I know what I'm doing. And then it hit me and I was like, you know what? I've got so much knowledge and so much passion, especially for like females in tech, you know, we're very undiversified, I guess is a, um, or underrepresented. So I wanted to really make a difference. And I said to Tony, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I've got such a great management team around me, um, and great peers around me who can help me on this journey because quite frankly, you know, going from IC to a director is like, it's a whole new world. Um, you know, what I cared about before. I care about now, but six times over. So um, I'm lucky with with the likes of Dan, who's, who's one of my peers. You know, we work really, really closely together and we're on the same page when it comes to like the playbook and medic. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to take that knowledge that I've learned and try and get other people to, to live their best life, I guess. And, you know, if you follow the playbook, it could change your life financially, but also, you know, professionally and, and, and personally, right? There's nothing more than I love is like getting a transaction over the line, but not only for the financial awards, but also for, you know, the customer and some of the champions I've met over the years, I'm like really, really good friends with now.
0: Right. And that's
1: Instagram, Facebook. If I'm in London, we can like, we go out for drinks and, you know, they're people that I worked with maybe 10, 15 years ago.
0: And, and the beauty there is probably, you know, you, there's obviously a personal connection. You get on well with these people and that's that goes without saying. But there's there's probably something in which they, you know, in a, in a whilst we're talking here, one of your champions might be on, you know, uh, a, a relating podcast to their industry talking about, you know, some of the success they've had, the same way you're talking about some of the success you've had. And they'll probably reflect back on some of the solutions that you've worked on them with that have made them successful. And that comes back to, you know, that vested interest um, part of a champion, you know, they're the best salespeople out there, you know, whether you realize what you're doing or not with those champions that you're now close with is, is because you, you, you found a personal um, connection with them where you were able to, whether you realize you were doing it or not. Some people, you know, sometimes we do it proactively. Sometimes we do it subconsciously, but we we tap into the drivers that drive and motivate that person. And that's what makes us good champion builders because we can kind of align ourselves to, to, to their direction, what they want to get, you know, As we know, everyone, every champion is different. Some, you know, I I always use the example there's a guy, really lovely guy, um, works for Selfridges, um, who, for those, I think most people know because of the show with Jeremy Piven on it, but it's a large department store in London. And I think he's worked there sort of 20 odd years or something like that. Now, if you took the same champion building approaches I would to some other champions I've had who are like super career hungry and they want to like, just get the next big job on, you know, in front of them. Uh, I took that to that person, that person's never leaving Selfridges. Like, so, you know, it's about tapping into those things. So I I love that, you, you know, you, you mentioned that one of the things I'm really interested about is, um, what, what's your, like, what have been your learnings from going from, an individual contributor to, to a leader and if you, you know, perhaps uh, a different angle and that could be some things that you would do differently, you know, with the, the hindsight in mind.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. It's going to be one of those moments where you have to cut it
0: because I'm... <laughs> I'm sure right.
1: <laughs> won't. Um, so I think um, when I was, so everyone at, at let's take sort of example because that's, that's right now. So, um, everyone at DataDog, when they when they join, goes through an onboarding, um, which is great enterprise-scale onboarding, um, really well received for the first week. When I joined, it was in person in Boston. Obviously, they're not in person right now because of COVID. But what I wanted to do is um, I put myself in the shoes of, if I was doing my time again at DataDog, what would I need in my toolkit to go and be successful more quickly? What would I need to ramp more quickly? Because a typical enterprise salesperson ramps in maybe about six to nine months. So I had this dream of making my reps ramp, um, or my ramp in four to five months. So decreasing that ramp by maybe 50% because then obviously I've hired them all this year. They'll be ready to go all like all guns blazing, um, in, in January. So for me, I've tried to put my, in, with every interaction that I do, I try to put my IC hat on wow. and then try and give the guidance from that standpoint, um, start with the why, um, you know, I, I read an article recently. It was like the words you don't write in a Slack. I need, I want, etc. Like, I don't need anything. But the reason why I'm asking for it is because it's going to help you do X, Y, Z. So, again, like laying that out is really important. Um, setting the state, setting the scene early on, on the playbook. So one of the first things after the first week is I go through the playbook with the team, um, talking about each of the different gates, um, how it aligns to Medic. each stage of the playbook and then when you should exit and say do you know what this isn't for us let's move on um i work with a guy called nick hewitt and he is the best person ever at getting on a initial discovery call and being able to qualify in or out super super quickly and he does it in such a great way that actually you're like do you know what fair play i'm not wasting your time and i'm not wasting my time like it's that again that fair exchange of value
0: and what does he what does he do what does he do to to make it so effective
1: so he obviously asks how everyone is on the call, but he'll get straight to the chase. These are the three challenges that, that they took souls is how you would potentially do it today, like bring old tools with you, or you would um, use open source or use native. These are the, um, the aftermath. This is what will happen if you do that. Are you doing any of those, those nine things? And then if they say, well, actually we're, we're not okay, cool. Let's see you later. Um, <laughs> But so, you know, typically, you know, Datadog is fit for three things. It's building out a CCOE, adopting a DevOps mentality, or migrating to cloud. Like, they're the, the kind of key, the key three areas that we were trying to attach to. But I don't think there's anything wrong with if you got on a discovery call and you asked those questions and they went, Do you know what, we're not, we're all in data centers. We've got no, um, no dreams or aspirations to to put an SRE or DevOps model in place then politely say do you know what we're not great let's just kind of draw a line under it and you know maybe in another world or another time we'll 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 work together but he's amazing at that and um i think we're often too scared of saying no as a salesperson. we want to hold on to anything like oh yes someone's speaking to me someone said yes yeah and then it's like oh but actually we could waste all this time um both both customer and our time, by the way, it's not all about us. It's about the customer, but we could waste a customer's time promising we could do something and we can't. So um, yeah, I would say qualify out early, be strong and believe in what you're doing at discovery stage. If you need to spend longer in discovery stage, do it, and then follow the playbook, because if you follow the playbook, you'll be super successful.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, it, 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 I think it goes back to what we were saying a bit earlier about um, we, we, your, your, the chap in your as You say his name is Nick, Yeah, Nick there. Um, so much, I bet, is 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 not entirely about what he says, but it's almost like the the persona that he 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 comes to the table with when he's saying it, and the customer kind of seeing that this this is a person that you know is is clearly trying to understand, is there not just value for themselves? Because that's obviously the big difference. It's not just, is there a deal here for me? It's, hey, is there enough of a opportunity for it to be worth our while to engage in what could be, as I'd imagine in an organization like Data, probably 90 days on average of our time to, you know, to run through uh, an evaluation process. And, you know, why would you, why would you enter into that, you know, um, if you thought that there wasn't going to be an opportunity at the outset?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, it does come for the customer as well, though, right? Because we don't want to lead people down the garden path of, yeah, we can do that. And actually, you know, knowing hearts apart that we're maybe not the right fit. Um So yeah, know I think that's really important. And and that then shows very early on if you've got that champion or how you're building that relationship because they think, you know, what this guy or girl has been really honest with me, and you know, that's the kind of relationship. And it, it sets the tone for the engagement moving forward as well. Yeah. So sharp, succinct, and and you know, I've I've learned a load from Nick. So I, I first met him when I was at Datadog, but he'd been at apd D and, and BMC actually, but we our paths never crossed it at BMC. But I've learned loads from him um since I've been there, just in a different style. Um because maybe I'm too nice sometimes. And I've learned the hard way, right? So um yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's amazing.
0: Yeah. It's inter- it's interesting though, because I don't think this is one of the things that I you know I talk about a lot with medic, which is that it's it's your own style, your own personality that, that the overlays on the top of what you do is yours. And that's you know, I don't think any framework methodology or anything like that should try and change you for being you, because ultimately people do buy from people. Um, There are obviously other elements that go into it, but at the end of the day, it's very, I don't, you know, it's very, very seldom that someone will buy from someone they don't like or trust. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so therefore it's really important. You have that kind of persona. So when you say, you know, when you say you're too nice, probably there might be some, deals that nick will win um that uh or or actually i should say time that nick will save because you might you know might not push as hard as he will but there'll also be i'm sure it will balance itself out there'll be some deals that you win that nick might not win because they feel like he might have been a bit too firm with the odd one personality that will think okay actually lucy was really like you know very sort of open with us and we learned from her and so i feel it always balances itself out and i think that's one of the reasons why i like medic and med so much is because it does sit underneath your personality underneath your style as kind of that that extra layer of like intelligence almost that you can kind of refer to and say well i think this person's a champion but let's look at the evidence i think this is the decision criteria but let's look at the evidence that's down here and then you can kind of pivot and, and change direction if 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 the medic evidence is overwhelming your uh, your gut or anything like that so i think that's one of the the things i'm always really keen to point out because i think sometimes particularly if you think about some of the methodologies out there like you know what a very good methodologies like challenger sale you know challenger says there's four type a salesperson, right? And it says you should be this one, which is the challenger. What if you wanted the other three? It's it's asking you to change. And that might be the right thing to do. But as a salesperson, I'm having to say, right, I'm going to have to change the way I talk to customers. And that's that can sometimes be a, a step on top of many other steps salespeople are trying to make. And that that's, you know, I'm on my soapbox a bit for medic now. But, um, <laughs> but the beauty of medic is it's not going to ask you to change. It's just going to sit, you know sit, give you that framework to kind of point you in the right direction, which I think is uh, why we know and love it so much.
1: I think, yeah, I think, and that's one thing. On coming back to the hiring, like I would encourage all of my team to bring their ideas to work. Like we don't want to create robots. We want everyone to bring their own, their own um, flair, their own ideas, and how they do things. And also, like they're there for a reason. They've been successful. They know what they're doing. So don't think you have to change to actually be that robotic. Yeah. Um, like be yourselves, because as you say, people buy from people, um, and just be yourself, because you know. It's, it's, it's very important. We don't want to have just like a machine of like spitting out like enterprise AEs doing exactly the same same things.
0: Yeah, like that was the case. Yeah, indeed. So um, I, got on, I got I had complaints from people because in the earlier episodes I'd always asked the question of what is your favorite or what do you think is the most important part of medic? And the last couple of episodes I didn't ask it, and people complained. People want to hear Lucy. People want to know what you think is the most important part of medic.
1: What by a letter?
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like picking one of your favorite children, isn't it?
1: I don't have children, but yeah, I've got a dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my, so my favorite, or my, the one that I believe that you won't ever get a deal done without is champion. So I would say I'm going to go with, with, with champion. Now I think all the letters and all of the components of medical is important of one another um but i think if you don't have a champion you're not going to get a deal because there's no one selling for you when you're not there there's no one to take and sponsor you to that ev there's no one that can tell you about the decision criteria or the process so i would safely say champion closely probably followed by i so pain underpinned by um metrics because metrics is going to be what the eb cares about they all come they all tie in together like yeah. You can't, you can't make me pick. But if it was one, it would be champion because back in the day, like that that part of the of the process of you know going for lunches, dinners, and stuff like that, like that was how you built champions. You know, they say that champions are built on the golf course. My handicap is crap. Yeah. <laughs> so mine were, my weren't built. built on the golf course. But no, I think champions are super important. And as I said, like I've got friends now that um, you know I worked with ten years ago um who I still speak to. And, you know, if there's anything that he needs, like ever, Pete Felton, I'll give the name. Pete Felton, he works for Wells Fargo now, but I, I met him when I was at BMC and I was working on JP Morgan. And um, you know, he'll always have us top of mind because he knows the value that we gave last time. So um yeah, he always comes back. So yeah, it's it's amazing really.
0: It is amazing. And I think what you're what you're talking about there is someone that's um someone that recognizes you as as a person that can not just deliver value, but can deliver value from yourself rather than just your solution. So you know what I mean? And I think that's a really um, big part of modern sales is that, you know, the most elite sales people out there, they're seen as, you know, consultants by their customers, by their prospects. They're not seen as salespeople. They're seen as people that come in and provide a very, you know, consultative (laughs) approach of value-driven conversations. And I think that's a really, really, that, that will be what that person sees, you know, as well as, uh, you know, having a nice time talking to you and all that sort of stuff, they'll see you as a person that they can trust and will will learn from when they engage with you, which is, which is great. And then I love what you said there around um, all those different things you were talking about, you need a champion to do. And I think that's absolutely spot on. I think as well, in particular, when the going gets tough, as it inevitably will in a deal, that's, you know, anytime you have a price objection, stakeholder objection, competitors kind of taking the lead, all of those things that happen, you know, deals all the time, all of the, if you, if you measure all of the, um, ways that, or, or if you follow all of the routes you want to take to overcome those objections, it's very hard to overcome those objections with the standard routes without having that champion. So I do tend to agree. I also say I'm always conflicted by this thing where it's like, you won't be able to find a real champion if you're not helping them solve a real pain. So I'm always a bit chicken and egg with that one, but, um, I don't, I'm
1: not sure I agree with that because, okay. Yeah, you might have instance, so let's say you've got a really, really strong champion that has moved from organizations and they may not have the pain right now because they don't know, they don't know, or they've, let's just take data, they've not migrated to the cloud yet, yeah. but they know when they do, they're going to have these pains and they still reach out to you, even though there's nothing to go live now because you've helped them previously. So I do think in the initial, when you're building those champions early days, that the pain is super important because you want to make sure that, you know, professionally it helps them. Personally, there's always something in it for a a champion, right? Whether it be promotion, getting their head above the parapet, um, making sure they don't get calls at 4am in the morning because something's gone wrong, you know, getting that white-life balance back. But without having um, pain, you wouldn't get that. But then a champion will continue, will continue and um, continue going for you, right? And um, so I don't necessarily think that in all aspects you need to pay more the pain will link for champion, especially if you've sold with them before. And if they're a true champion, you'll probably sell to them multiple times in your career, depending on where you've gone. But um but that, that is for me, that is like the epicenter of medic. If if you could have like medic around the outside, the C for me, the champion would always be in the middle. Because you're never going to get to an EV unless you've got well you could, but you probably pissed them off, right? <laughs> yeah. If you went to an E V without letting your champion know, like I'm a firm believer of making sure that you go up the tree correctly. Mm. Don't, don't go and like knock people or go above people's heads. Um, I did it once. I, it, it was horrendous, and it, it caused a lot of problems. And um, one of my my big beliefs is like use your champions to navigate the org because they're there to do that for you. And mm. if they're not taking you there, there's a reason. So then I'd have a question mark about whether actually there's something real to be had.
0: Right. And this all comes back to the, the work that you you talked about that you do right at the beginning, which is who's who in the zoo mapping out that process, trying to really get a feel for who's, you know, who's into what, who cares about what, who's impacted by what, you know, who, who's motivated by what and all those things, which is which is elite level selling, which is, you know, which is why you know you've had the success you have and and that that kind of stuff. So I, I love I love that you you can just tell by the way you're thinking about this. And I'm sure the listeners are picking up on this too. It's you're 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 so in the zone when you're thinking about these deals of how can I attach value and and to 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 this scenario how can I ensure that the value resonates with the person that you're working with that's um yeah that it it kind of works very very uh very very succinctly in moving deals forward or not because sometimes there's just not enough value and we know what that means we uh we qualify out the biggest thing for me as well like if
1: I've got a champion my competitors probably got a champion, mm-hmm. so I take the greatest pleasure of identifying who the competitor's champion is and converting them. Oh. Like, <laughs> that's my favourite, and then getting like my existing champion and the new champion in a room, and then it's all like happy families. But you'll bet your bottom dollar that if you've got someone that you're working with, there'll be you know one of your competitors will potentially have a champion they're working with, and then it's kind of like, well, who's got more influence? Yeah, who's got more power. Who's got more Who Who's, who's going to like? step out of their comfort zone to actually fight for you. Um, but, you know, in a wider world, you'd want everyone to be your champion, but that's not ever going to be the case. Mm. So then it's like, how do you diffuse and how do you leverage your champion to be more powerful than, than the other one is, is what I would say.
0: Yeah, and this is this is all the where the the beauty of the other parts of medic you're talking about come into play. You know, what's the vested interest? What's the you know breaking it down and the decision criteria so you can kind of make sure, as you said earlier, what you do differently or better um, than the other alternatives on the table. So yeah, this is
1: uh, planning right. Like I've I've made out of your book. I've made like a really cool deal sheet my team to use to like track their like track track their um their deals through. And we've actually got one a specific piece on champion planning in there. Um, you know, I learned back and back probably, well, BMC days, right, when, you know, I really got into this whole sales process that you need to identify, you, you need to, to build, you need to test and you need to use a champion. Um, and there's nothing like, it is what it is, um, but the identification piece is going to be really, really key. And again, stay really long there if you need to, to make sure that they are the right person, because they may seem like one on the, on the surface and then actually they're not. So right. the identification piece and the building piece are probably the two most important um pieces. And if you do that well, the rest will be will be easier. So again, put everything front end, like loads of time, loads of considered care, and the rest will follow. The same on champions. You want to make sure you you identify them right, you build them correctly and you give them value. It's all about fair exchange of value. Right. And comes to using them, it should be, you know, second to none. I've got um, one guy that I worked with at Bodafone, and I remember we were, we were on online. It was the last day of financial year. It was, um, when I was at BMC and, um, it was 10 because we were looking over in Amsterdam. So it was 11 Yeah. and we were Slack trying to get, trying to get the the PDF. Like, thank God we don't have fax machines anymore. Yeah. <laughs> when I first started out, we'd all wait around the, op- the fax machine in the office on the last day of the month. <laughs> and thank God it's all like remote now, a sign, but yeah, you know, a champion would go above and beyond at 10.59 on the last day of the year to get you that, to get you that transaction over the line.
0: Yeah. And that's the last bit that you, you yeah.
1: for it, right and say, thank you so much. And it was like teamwork. We did it together. Yeah, that's a really great, you know, a great happy ending to, to the story that it wasn't just that, yeah, I needed him because I'd committed it to my business. He had also committed it to his business and the value that he was going to get from it. So it worked both ways. And we both fought to get that in. And it, it came in with like 30 seconds to spare, I think, because
0: it has a time stamp on it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Those are the stories that, you know, I always, you know, you 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 say these sorts of things in your teams. I'm sure you do this, you know, when you, you're sort of, getting your team psyched up for a quarter end or even a quarter in itself. And you say like, there are moments that we will probably make in this quarter that will live of us for the rest of our careers. And hopefully we'll be sat around a bar talking about the, you know, what, what a great outcome they were uh, down the line. And that is exa- exactly an example of one of them. I think one of the things you said there just on the end that really stuck out for me was you were talking about the different sort of stages of a champion. The one at the end was using your champion. I think that's something actually that we as an industry, don't necessarily you know we know about the the focus on the building the testing and all that sort of stuff but actually putting them into bat you know you know using them i some I, you know i've had a sales team in the past where i kind of had to do a, a session on like saying hey you know as much as we often end up friends with our customers and that's not what we're here for we're not trying to make friends <laughs> um and you know in in your example of you know the ones you know, you've got friends that are ch- or champions that are friends now in one case you know a time where i not only thought i'd lost this person as a friend but i thought i'd lost the deal because i had to kind of be very firm with them actually went on to, to buy from me another couple of times in my career as well so I think the idea of really using them is, is something we shouldn't forget. There's that's definitely a part there. It's no point just having the person or sort of hoping that they're out there working for us, but actually coaching them and kind of putting them into play.
1: Share decks, share ideas, share the meeting, like take them to the E B meeting, right? Because they're going to be sad at what great job that person's done to date. But, You're going to be giving them the accolade of like, it's amazing, like we're here because of this person. And now actually this is what you want to understand from you. So yeah, I think, you know, champions hands down for me most important and i remember john darcy used to say in the, it, that would be in our forecast be like no champion no deal and that's it and that it's stuck with me forever and, it, and, it, and it's true and i i've tried to like i've tried to like navigate the process and think actually i can do this without a champion oh
0: no, never, never. Just, just before we wrap up, because we run out of time, um, just for those listening, because there'll be a ton of people listening that um, haven't had the opportunity to work at a company do things the way that Datadog do with POVs. Could you give us like a two minute um, overview of what that process is, how it kind of how it works for, for Datadog and other companies you may have worked at that use it? Because there'll be a lot of people listening thinking, yeah, that, what, what, what's that process and how can it, how could we embrace it?
1: Well, the sales, the sales process.
0: The, the, the POVs, the way you do the proof of value.
1: Value. Sorry. Yes, absolutely. So um, as I said, Playbook company, we want to make sure that we follow it. So um, we, we've done a great discovery. We spent a lot of time there. We've moved into an amazing new business meeting where we've articulated the challenges, how Datadog are going to fit and how they're going to help. And then we get agreement that we're going to move to a POV. Amazing. It's, it's what everyone wants to hear um first of all we make sure we meet with the ev for any povs are done and then we go through a very structured um process of ensuring that all of the criteria that um we need to hit within that pov is is documented and forms part of the decision criteria we use our unique differentiation to make sure that we're pushing those towards that decision criteria to make sure that we win um and then we've got hands-on so we, we work really really closely with our sc team and um, we've got some really talented guys and girls, actually, um, over here. And um, they're very um, stringent on owning the technical champion side, again. So they're the primary champions as they go. Um, and the POV, we can do a POV in three to four weeks. Um, at the end of it, we, we play back. So there's a number of touch points throughout, which is all kind of gearing around collecting more metrics, um, ensuring that the decision criteria is correct, making sure that we are reviewing competition and where we can do it better, making sure we align to the pain but making sure that the champion gets a win at the end of it. We then do a um, POV playback and typically then enter into, into commercials. Now, a POV, like I've done POVs before with other big organizations that have maybe lasted three to six months. Um, at the end of the day, I don't know if you need that long, yeah. however complicated your software is, right, or your hardware or whatever. Um, a P O V is proof of value. You're proving the value that they're going to get for the pain that they've got. It's not about tech technology really, like bits and bytes or functions and features. It's about what can we give as an organisation to you that's going to solve that high level pain um, and some metrics on the back of it.
0: I love it. Thank you very much for that because I think that's. I love the way you describe it. You can tell how orientated it is around value and i think a lot of people listening refer to this as obviously like a proof of concept and i've always had that challenge of you know we've got hundreds of customers why do we need to prove the concept the concept works but hey let's prove that this concept that works has value for you that's that's a different conversation and i love how you you know it's clear to me all the way through your your your, you know you're relating back to as you say the criteria decision criteria and the metrics and the value that's there so i can see yeah, I can see why that's something that you guys, you know, have as a big part of your playbook. And I think a lot of people listening will will take a lot from that and maybe reflect on how they do similar things and how they can kind of embrace Medic to be um, a tool that can really help them to increase their success rates, but also increase the efficiency in which they run those POVs as well.
1: The whole point is about accelerating, accelerating, um, de-risking and making sure there's value at the end of it. So you want to make sure that any POVs used to actually kind of accelerate a sales cycle, for example, and, and using Medic supports that because it allows you to be really clear and concise on the gaps as well, right? I hate a deal sheet that's all green because if it's all green, it should have happened. Yeah. We want to make sure there's gaps. And every week, me and the team, we look at um, different um, deals and we, we go through kind of where the gaps are and then we build a plan on how we can go and alleviate those gaps. And, and whether it be, or we don't have enough metrics, or who do we need to go to to get those metrics? What metrics are going to be really, really strong? So, yeah, we we live and breathe by the deal sheets, the medic process to make sure that, A, we're giving good customer value and fair exchange of value for the customer. We're de-risking and we're accelerating because that's what every um, every software or hardware company wants to do.
0: Exactly right. Well, thank you very much, Lucy. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was well worth waiting over a year to have you <laughs> on. I
1: haven't really done many of these, so I'm a little bit kind of like... When I watch the back, I'm sure I'll find it quite, um, like I said the right things, but no, hopefully that was useful. And um, yeah, I know it's great to meet you in person a couple of weeks back. Thanks for doing the, the oh. um, session with the team. They loved it. Um, a- walked around their books, which I can't be more, more thankful for.
0: <laughs> it was the first in-person signing I've ever done. It felt a bit like, you know, it felt a bit um, a, a surreal, I would say, to, to do it. But uh, no, thank you for that. And I think, um, where can, are, are you still hiring? Where can people find you if they're,
1: uh, we are still hiring. Obviously, we're building out team three at the moment. Um, so get anyone to reach out to me and I can um put you in contact with the right with the right people. Um but no, we are still hiring and we should be sort of seen to grow grow again next year. So yeah, super exciting, super great place to be. It's probably one of the best technology companies I've worked for, and I've worked for a few. T-shirts. Um, yeah, great t-shirts, amazing t-shirts and, and great hats. Yeah. But um, no, no all joking aside, um, if you're passionate about technology solving problems and actually learning a skill that will set you up for the future to make everything possible then i would say yeah definitely definitely get in touch but you know at the end of the day if you believe in the process you follow it and don't cut corners it it could change your life
0: i love that so happy days yeah indeed thank you so much lucy it's been an absolute pleasure